You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Today, we have a really, really important and special episode. Um, This episode really is a crossover episode uh, with Inverse Podcasts, with Freedom Road Podcasts, with Churches for Middle East Peace and Palestinian Christians in Australia. And so we're really delighted to um, bring this table of conversation uh, for you. And the first thing that we want to do before you do anything else, this is not normally what we would do, but we want you to log on and go to GazaCeasefirePilgrimage.com. That's GazaCeasefirePilgrimage.com. And while we're uh, talking, you can just go ahead and uh, look over the website. Uh, You can invite people into that. Um, And we actually want you to sign up right as you're listening. And so um, you can uh, begin to look over that website as we begin. Again, I'll just say one more time, GazaCeasefirePilgrimage.com. So, what I would like to do, because we've got a really great group uh, around the table to have a really rich conversation, um, is to give space for each of them to kind of introduce themselves. And particularly, I want each of you to locate how your own story connects to the suffering that we've been seeing in Gaza. How do you enter into this story? And so, uh, Lisa, I don't know if you maybe could get us started. Sure. Thanks so much, Drew. It's really an honor to be um, here and with this group and and honestly, um, with this initiative, the Gaza, Gaza Ceasefire Pilgrimage um, Initiative Global. It's, a, it's, a, it's really become like a global phenomenon and I'm mm-hmm. excited um, to see what how it's really catching on. My story intersects with Gaza in that I was asked to come and speak at the Christ in the Check, Christ at the Checkpoint com, um, conference back in 2018, I believe. And it was um, a life-changing experience to go. Um, I did not get to see Gaza, but we did. Um, we we stayed in the West Bank and um, Reverend Dr. Munther Isak uh, was very, very gracious in taking me to the wall and helping me to understand the history, at least, uh, you know, in a sketch form. Um, and I'd never heard any of it. And I realized in the midst of that trip that I, my whole perception of the Middle East, let alone um, Palestine, had been shaped um, by two very strong forces. One was American media, and two was the evangelical church. And um, neither of those actually lived the experience that Dr. Munther Isak lived as he grew up. So hearing his direct story... Um, and the story of so many others, I just began to realize uh, there's so much I don't know and that I'm not aware of. And I began to see the connections between the subjugation of the Palestinian people um, and occupation and African-Americans who lived under Jim Crow um, and enslavement and even today with mass incarceration. There are there are a lot of parallels. So I'll stop there, but um, I am the um, founder and exec- I said executive director, founder and president of Freedom Road, which is a consulting group and an educational group. And we're dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. And it's great, again, to be in conversation with you. Uh, May, could you um, also kind of tell us how you, who you are and kind of locate how your story intersects with this as well. Sure. Um, well, and I'm also grateful to be a part of this conversation and I'm grateful to not be alone on this journey. So mm-hmm. the solidarity of being together is a gift. Yeah. Um, I'll start just with like what's most present on my heart. I just got back from Jerusalem about a week mm-hmm. ago. Um, yeah. I was in the Middle East um, for Uh, several weeks um, in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories and in Jordan and in Lebanon. um, And anyone who thinks that this is not already a broader Middle East war, um, Mm -hmm. including the United States government, is ignoring what's happening on the ground in the Middle East. Um, So how I'm intersecting right now is that like my heart 
Um, my heart is in Jerusalem. My heart mm-hmm. is in Gaza. I've had the privilege of being there. I normally go in about once a year. I'm the executive director of an organization called Churches for Middle East Peace. And, you know, I always kind of teased before October 2023, and I would say, come work with us. We fail miserably. And I've never felt like more of a failure um, than these days, Um, Mm -hmm. because we've been working so hard and every day, and the situation's getting worse and worse, and people are still dying, and bombs are still dropping, and (laughs) more more bombs are dropping on more cities. And so I'm grateful that we're having this conversation about things we can do and what it means to have hope when there is no visible hope on the horizon and what it Mm. means to take steps forward when that's what it means to be faithful in the midst of really, really dark times. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, May. Have mercy. Hmm. Um, Susan, could you jump in and um, introduce yourself and tell how your story uh, intersects with the suffering that we're all continually to sit with. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Suzanne Wahab. Um, I'm the president of Palestinian Christians in Australia. I'm speaking with you here from a small room in the Malka Church because I've just had a meeting with the bishop who is fully supportive of the work that we're doing and of the Gaza ceasefire. Hey. Um, so um, I'm running out of battery, but uh, I will uh, keep going. Um, uh, th- this story is, you know, who I am. You know, I was born in Jerusalem. I um, um, grew up in Ramallah. Uh, I grew up under the occupation the Israeli occupation, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, it, 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 it's, it's like a hundred times of COVID lockdown and nobody's allowed to go anywhere. Uh, you know, I, all I remember were curfews, the soldiers everywhere, tires burning, kids being picked up, you know, so I lived that occupation time. And when we came to Australia and I was 17 years old, when we came to Australia, I didn't realize that I was traumatized. Um, and then the trauma actually kept going because the moment I landed in Australia, the second day in Australia, the first day at school, uh, when somebody asked me where you're from, I said Palestine and a teacher said to me, no, that's not, that doesn't exist. Uh, please don't say that word. Uh, she told me off. Um, I, uh, I cried that day. Um, I felt like I didn't belong here. It took me a long time to re- to, you know, be accepted. I was bullied for being Palestinian. Uh, some people called me Arafat lover uh, when I went to university. You know, yes, sir, Arafat. Mm. Um, so I, I actually felt like, uh, and 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 at some point in my in my life, I started lying about being Palestinian. So I would say I'm either Jordanian or Lebanese, and then I, uh, uh, and I hated lying because. When I went to this job, the boss kept asking me, where exactly are you from Lebanon? And I would lie and would say, oh, Beirut. And then he comes and says, oh, I've met this Lebanese uh, accountant. And he said, which suburb in Beirut did you live in? And I found myself lying and lying. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. God, uh, please forgive me. I lied. And then I lied for three years, I must say. And that experience made me um, who I am now because uh, at some point, you know, when you had enough of lying, of living a double life, and you go, that's enough. I can't do that. And so the second job I went to, I said, I'm Palestinian. And it turned out to be a Jewish firm. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, they never sacked me. Uh, but because, you know, I, <laughs> uh, because of that experience, I became more proud to say I'm Palestinian and I don't want to lie no matter who is in front of me. And it it made my identity and I want to share being Palestinian, but I also want to share being Christian Palestinian because a lot of people don't realize, you know, some people were telling me, oh, how did you convert? And I would say, mate, I con- my ancestors converted 2,000 years ago and my ancestors converted <laughs> your ancestors. And people can't believe it that, oh, 
there are these people who are called Palestinian Christians and they're the first ones. They're the OGs, man. We're the OGs. <laughs> uh, so that's why we set up Palestinian Christians in Australia to let the world know who we are and what, what we do and we advocate for peace, justice and equality. Mm. And we want peace with everyone. Mm. We don't want to have any fight with anyone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you, Susan. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. And then finally, uh, as my Australian mates would say, uh, Jared, uh, can you uh, tell us how you locate yourself and your story and how it relates to, again, all the suffering and the genocide going on in Gaza? Yeah, thanks, Drew. Um, well, it's it's a pleasure to be with you all. And I'm so pleased that so many organisers, I know there's people who have got up in the middle of the night um, to be part of this. So thank you for being present for this being recorded live. Um and I'm so honoured to be with these three incredible women on um, this particular interview, Drew. Um, I'm not sure whether to start uh, in Tel Aviv um, or to start in Belfast. Um, maybe I'll do Belfast first. Um, if I was to take you to my grandmother's street in Belfast, uh, at the top of the street in Ardoin, for those who know Belfast, um, in our Catholic um, neighbourhood, um, very poor Catholic neighbourhood, where as well as uh, IRA murals, um, there is a mural at the top of my grandmother's street to Gaza. Um, and it reads in Irish, um, uh, stop the theft. And uh, ever since I, I went to my grandmother's home, um, that mural has been there. And it's been there because um, uh, my people, um, we identify with um, the Palestinian people. Um, the, uh, Yasser Arafat is um, somebody who is literally on the murals of my Irish family's neighbourhood. Um, uh, uh, alongside Nelson Mandela and Jerry Adams, and in, in terms of um, Irish Republican uh, politics, which is very different to American Republican politics, it's the difference of a nationalism from below versus um, a settler colonial uh, project from above. Um, these are um, our comrades. They, these are our people. Um, so that's my dad's story. And my dad was born um, in County Derry um, and uh, so uh, before migrating out to Australia. But I could start in Tel Aviv um, and tell the story of being detained uh, on one of my trips, probably to go and see May. Um, and uh, Reverend Dr May has been a, a mentor um, of mine uh, in that region. Uh, the fact that um, Muntha Isaac is a, is a mate is because May introduced me. Um, uh, my uh, working experience with one of the world's largest aid development and relief organisations meant that I was based in the Middle East, Eastern Europe, and I was in and out of, um, for you know weeks at a time, um, the Jerusalem West Bank Gaza office. And one of these trips, uh, I was detained and um, being questioned by Israeli soldiers, and they were like, why haven't you registered for citizenship process? Well, why haven't you, um, is it because you don't believe in the nation state of Israel? And I was quite surprised because while I have Jewish ancestry, Ashkenazi Jews from Russia on my mum's side of the family, my mum's um, uh, converted to Christianity and it's her dad's side of the family. So most Orthodox Jews um, would go, no, you're not Jewish enough. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of a wake up for me, realising that um, uh, the nation state of Israel and Judaism and how they consider Jewish identity are very different. One's got to do with the faithfulness um, uh, to Torah and to the prophets, and the other has to do with a cultural definition um, that uh, justifies um, the erasure of other people. Um, and I fit into one definition and not the other, um, uh, according to um, some rabbis and then some pro. And so this was part of my own awakening. I think that would have been 2012, um, so over a decade ago when I went through that experience. Um, but I mean, ultimately and ultimately for all of us, um, my identification is in my baptism. Um, I I've been united with Christ and um, Christ is fun, found amongst the lost, the last, the least, the left out, the looked over, those who are left behind, those who have their backs against the wall, as Howard Thurman would say, these these are my people. And so my my Irishness, yeah. my Jewishness, um, and uh, ultimately how um, they're transfigured in my baptism uh, means that my heart is breaking 
for the realities that are going on at the moment. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you, each of you, um, really powerful and beautiful, just hearing, you know, just the transparent way in which you guys tell your story and how, um, yeah, uh, you cannot separate yourself from all that is going on. And, and I think all of us, especially when we think about our commitments, our faith, our spirituality, um, these things ought to be drawing us in. Uh, one of the things that we uh, like to do for Inverse Podcasts, a practice that I certainly want to bring into our conversation here, is literally, you know, inverse, both flipping things upside down, but also being in the verse, right, in the texts. <laughs> um, and we like to ground our conversations with a biblical passage that can kind of set the tone for some of the conversation that we're going to have. Um, so uh, I believe one of you all will read a passage for us that can kind of set the tone for some of our conversation moving forward. Uh, I, I don't mind reading. I actually have it as a as a memory verse um, <laughs> since my conversion, so I can draw back on early teenage Jared for for this particular verse if if that works for you, my sisters. Um, so th this is First uh, John. Uh, chapter 2, verse 6, and it um, reads, um, those who claim to abide in him must walk as Jesus walks. Those who claim to abide in him must walk as Jesus walks. Yeah, that's good. And we can come back to that and have a conversation later around uh, the significance of that. But before we do, um, Lisa, can you pray for us and our time and the kind of conversations that we'll be having together? Sure, let's pray. Holy God, we give this time to you. We thank you so much for all of the people who made time in their nights tonight or their mornings um, to stop and consider how we can leverage our bodies as living sacrifices mm -hmm. in this current struggle um, of the Gaza people. And in particular, um, it's, truly a, it's truly a war against the image of God on earth. That's really mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so God, we pray that your spirit would be among us, that your spirit would sit with us, would sit between us, would whisper to us, would speak to us, would give us your wisdom, would give us your grace, and Lord, that you would do all that is needed in order to move our bodies into action, prophetic action that would cause movement, movement in this world. Um, right now, things are very stagnant and or moving backward. And we need you, God, to move, move your spirit toward peace, bringing peace that is lasting peace, sustainable peace, and not just a temporary ceasefire, but God, we need for you to intervene and to save lives. And so God, whatever, whatever it takes to move our bodies into action and partnership with you, would you do that tonight? Would you speak to us in the words that we need to hear tonight? And Lord, also, for those things that we say that are not of you, would you burn them up and have them be as if they were never spoken at all? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lisa. So, you know, what I would like for you all to uh, kind of engage us uh, on is, you know, can you tell us the story of how the five of you, or I guess the four of you, um, started talking and how we got to this point where now all of a sudden there's 14 countries, 82 cities who are signing up to this Gaza ceasefire pilgrimage movement. Like, what exactly is this and how did this happen? I mean, global responses like this don't always happen. And so can somebody kind of unpack and maybe collectively tell that story of how this unfolded? Well, Susan, I don't know if you want to start with um, our fifth member who was missing, who is um, his faithfulness, his mustard seed kind of action 
um, started this whole thing. Do you want to tell the story of James Harris? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, great. Um, so, so, so basically, we um, James James uh, James Harris from Neighbour. He um, uh, he heard about the uh, donation drive we've been doing as an organisation, Palestinian Christians in Australia, to help the Gaza refugees to settle in Australia. And he he you know he didn't know what to do because he was frustrated that there's no ceasefire. He didn't know what else he can do. So one day it came to him, the Holy Spirit came to him, and basically he decided to walk the length of the Gaza Strip on the Gold Coast here in, in, in Australia. And uh, then he contacted us because uh, he set up a GoFundMe page and said, I'm going to donate all the money that I raise as I'm walking to Palestinian Christians in Australia. And I said, fantastic, good on you. And actually, I thought he might just like, you know, and he, he said the same thing. He might raise $2,000. He ended up raising 5000 mm-hmm. And uh, there's a there's a member of our committee who actually lives um, in um, in Brisbane, not far from the Gold Coast. So so basically, he raised $5,000. As a result, they walked and then they did the prayer halfway through. And it was so successful. It was really beautiful that he's done that. Uh, and then... I think Jared or he contacted Jared and then I'll let Jared now tell you the rest of the story. Yeah, it was funny. I was actually um, in a mate's pool uh, and got the phone call um, and James is like, I've just walked the length of Gaza and I'm like, mate, that's beautiful. And he's like, and we've raised $5,000. I'm like, that's phenomenal. We need to do something like that. And he's like, that's why I'm ringing. I'm wondering if if you would um, be willing to actually um do that and i said not only would i be willing i think the world needs this i think the church and so many of us are in this stage where we're like where is the church and realizing in prayer as james did we are the church um we need to act we can't wait for institutions we need a faithfulness um uh to actually um uh do just that so um i contacted lisa um who i was delighted to so maybe i'll pass to you lisa (laughs) sorry i love how this works uh it really was kind of a baton pass um but but we all we all stuck in there the whole time i think that um when i heard from jared um this plan immediately i just knew oh this is what we need we need a way to move our bodies into action um in a way that isn't just marching and chanting which has been incredibly prophetic and um, uh, and effective, actually effective at gaining um, presence, effective at helping uh, our elected officials and the rest of the world know that there are people who care about this, um, and also effective at building the movement itself. But there's really um, there we have only seen occasional um, ways for the church to engage in in. Um, ways that are specific, that are rooted in faith. And this idea of walking the length of Gaza, particularly during Lent, was really attractive to me, like making this a Lenten spiritual formation journey. And when I thought about, well, who needs to be invited into this? There was no one who was any higher on my list than um, Reverend Dr. May Elise Cannon, who was a dear friend, an old friend. We met, I think it was back in 2008, 2009, um, and since then have been partnering in multiple different ways. But um, I've been so deeply grateful for the ways that she has been leading us on in the state side in U.S., um, the church, and also others who are chiming in um, and listening to her updates every single day, every day since October 7th, she has offered updates on Instagram and Facebook. And so, uh, May, I'm going to pass it to you um, because when when May came in, uh, basically I knew, okay, now it's on. <laughs> this is for real. This is not just a bunch of friends who want to do something. May's, May has like network, major network. And so, May, would you share uh, your process? Well, and the timing of it was providential um, because we were praying, you know, we knew part of our strategy was, was um, I wish that our strategy was just 
to speak prophetically and and the powers in the world listen and then justice is done. Like, wouldn't right. that be nice and beautiful and good? And <laughs> we have felt like we're beating the, our heads against the wall. And so our strategy has been those verses that talk about the persistent widow. And, you know, we've been doing these prayer vigils in front of the White House and I mean, even our staff and people who have been doing this, they're just like, it's not worth it. And we're like, well, we're going to do it anyway. We're going to, we're still going to be a prophetic witness. We're still going to be faithful. And so what you're talking about in terms of embodiment, that is the integration, like the, the intersection of spirituality and our body and prophetic witness, and also like putting our faith into action and holding on to hope and saying, I'm going to take steps forward anyway. <laughs> Um, this, this was such a gift in that regard and the timing, um, I don't even remember all of my timing is a bit, you know, I don't kind of know what month it is, but, um, we had the privilege of hosting some, um, Palestinian Christian leaders in Washington, DC in late November and early December around Advent. And, um, you know, we, um, they came, they left their families in the midst of war and in the midst of, you know, not knowing if their families are safe. I mean, the sacrifices they took. So Munther Itzak uh, was one of the pastors from Bethlehem. Um, Jack Sarah was um, another pastor and leader. And then uh, Tamar Haddad, who's a young Palestinian Christian activist from Jerusalem. And these three leaders came and, you know, they met with the White House and they met with members of Congress and they were such prophetic voices. And we thought, oh, you know, maybe we're making some progress. And then the U.S. sent more weapons to be used in Gaza. Right. I mean, these were the types of things that kind of kept happening. And so um, I didn't want to say yes to something like this without talking to our partners in Palestine. And we talked to them about this and they without hesitation, said absolutely. And then we yeah. had the privilege um, of launching this um, from the Mount of Olives, you know, uh, Reverend Dr. Jack Sarah. Um, we had a, a beautiful uh, local Catholic priest uh, who presided over the service at Dominus Flevit, which is the place where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And it felt mm. like what an appropriate place. And um, I'll put a link, you know, to the service. It's not the most professional video, but it was such a profound um, time where we launched and were blessed by the organizers. And so I'm just grateful to be on the journey. Um, and it was a, a privilege to launch it. And the other thing I just want to say is that, um, you know, I, I don't know how much people have been following the news, but we're hearing that... Um, you know, even in terms of a ceasefire, you know, there's the current Paris proposal on the table right now. And Hamas, as of the last time I checked the news, had not yet responded. And they've been pretty clear that they are not going to agree to a ceasefire unless there's a permanent ceasefire on the table, even if it's incremental. Um, but Prime Minister Netanyahu just said that, um, you know, he anticipates the war lasting months, not years. We're hearing that um, beginning of summer is kind of uh, part of the timeline. And even if um, there is a temporary ceasefire or even a permanent ceasefire, these pilgrimages are still so incredibly necessary because the institutional yeah. injustice that is underneath um, what's happening still has to be dismantled. And so I just want to say, I feel like this is a movement, like the call right now is immediately to stop the mass killings and to prevent further genocide. Like that's the call, ceasefire now, period. Um, but regardless of where we're at, whenever these pilgrimages happen, there's going to be a need for them because there's so much systemic injustice right. and occupation and oppression undergirding. Like we have to have a systemic resolution that we don't see a vision for yet. Um, yeah. So I'm just, I'm grateful that you all called. So yeah. thank you. And I think that's really helpful, uh, May, just helping people really understand the systemic conditions, the apartheid conditions that they've been living with for so long. And so the ceasefire is just one step, right? And I think maybe that's a good transition um, to have a conversation around some of the demands specifically that you guys have framed for the Gaza ceasefire pilgrimage. Um, can you all kind of describe, first, maybe we talk about the four demands first, and then maybe we can get into the kind of core convictions after that. But what are the four demands of the Gaza ceasefire pilgrimage? 
Who would like to speak to that? I have them up in front of me, if that's helpful. Go ahead, Chad. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so the first demand simply is an enduring and sustained ceasefire. And we've got to thank Lisa for that language. Um, drawing on what May was just saying about how it's ne needed to make that explicit, because, of course, there has been, quote, unquote, ceasefires that have happened. But literally, um, this gives people a chance to um, bandage bo bodies that will later be bombed yet again. And um, that's not what we're calling for. That's not what we want. We want a lasting and a sustained ceasefire. Number two is the immediate flow of life-saving food, water, aid, fuel, and humanitarian assistance. People be aware that um, there are these trucks backed up that the world um, has seen what is happening and has sought to respond. But literally, um, uh, these prayers um, are, are stuck at the border. Um, and there are certain angels that, um, you know, to use the language of Daniel's um, uh, book, that uh, are wrestling with that being ar arriving. And our prayers and our demands is that it will actually reach those who are in need. Uh, number three is the release of all host hostages both the Israeli hostages held by Hamas um, after the horror of um, the particular terrorist attack that put this in people's consciousness again. Um, but of course, for people who are, are close to what Palestinians are going through, this is an ongoing daily reality. But also for the Palestinian hostages held in the Israeli prison system, which number over 7,000, including thousands of children, which um, uh, May was a part of introducing me to, meeting their families, hearing their stories. I think of my, my own kids and the reality of what these children are going through. We can't ignore them just because it's not um, politically uh, au fait or popular at the moment. Um, that what we're calling for is the kind of healing that must reach every single uh, crevice of the injustice that is going on there currently. And finally, number four, an end of occupation so a just peace can begin. Any talk of peace that is returning to a status quo of the kind of slow, hidden oppression that continues daily, that dehumanises people, that treats Palestinian children as if they were less than Israeli children, we cannot abide, we have no time for, we will speak out against, and we want to have the same courage that um, uh, Jewish peace groups, Israeli hu human rights groups, um, uh, Muslim groups, interfaith groups um, have had in speaking up. We want to see the body of Christ stand with the body of Christ in Palestine, not only hear their cry, but join them in seeing the prayers answered. So there's the four. Thank you. And then uh, I know you guys also have um, kind of eight core convictions um, as well. Can you all describe exactly what is kind of grounding those core convictions? Yeah, I don't know if um, uh, anybody else, I, I know Susan, you're on your phone, but uh, I'm on my May phone, or yes. Lisa, um, do you yeah, have them in front yeah. of you? Do you want to speak to some of them? I think it might be cool for um, some of us to, to talk about the ones that like mean the most to us. Yeah. Maybe. Oh. Um, I know that for me, uh, the one that is um, that has actually been challenging and at the same time kind of brought me back to the cross, brought me back to the resurrection, actually not the cross, but the resurrection mm. of the um, cross, brown yeah. colonized indigenous Jesus is this call to make its number two. We make a stand against any form of hatred, including anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Mm -hmm. um, and so we hurt the movement and are not faithful to Jesus when hatred of anyone or any people clouds the clarity of naming the war crimes being committed by the modern nation state of Israel. Um, one of the things that's been very difficult um, in this entire, uh, uh, since October 7th, has been to isolate the action of the Israeli government um, and not fall into the trap of hatred, the trap of um, of of only of of creating enemy. One of the reasons why we are here is because of that trap that a whole people group has been seen as enemy by some others, particularly in in Israel and, and in the government of Israel. 
And so collective punishment has been levied um, and is being levied. And that is the war crime. That is what makes this a genocidal act. And we do not need to, in the name of Jesus, in the name of um, of God, then practice um, erasure, practice um, social genocide, um, practice uh, an ethic of exclusion, even as we are are working toward justice. So my heart breaks, absolutely breaks for the Israelis and others who are still being held hostage. And I know um, that it is there is no way for Israel as a nation um, or Jewish people globally to find the safety that they desire if genocide is able to continue because the safety that they enjoy today will not be sustainable. It will not look 10 years down the line, five years down the line, um, 50 years down the line, if it takes that long, but there will be another um, tragedy that happens because terrorists, people who are, or freedom fighters, depending on the side that you're sitting on, are grown from violence. Violence begets Mm. violence. So the only way to stop this cycle of violence is actually to stop this cycle of collective punishment and hatred. And so what is the answer? Literally, the ethic of love is a radical answer um, to this cycle. And it's the only thing that can stop it. So as we engage, we must engage with that ethic, that heart, that intention in every step that we take. Beautiful. Amen. Thanks, Lisa. Maybe I'll pick up from that. It actually makes me think of the language that Oscar Romero used, where he talks about Mm. the violence of love. And really, he's talking about love. Um, He doesn't mean violence the way we understand violence. He's talking Mm. about love, you know, taking the power out of violence, right? Like the Mm. antithesis of violence, you know, this, this, but it makes me think of actually the first um, value or the first conviction, which is above all, our prayer is Jesus's way and the type of justice that's being pursued is a healing justice. It's mm-hmm. a justice that doesn't cause harm, but it's a justice that, that um, brings healing. And I think one of the things we see so profoundly in the pursuit of any justice, but particularly when we think of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as this false binary, and that actually, you know, one of the things, and we preached this in the service from Jerusalem when we launched this pilgrimage, is that it's righteous to grieve for the pain of Jewish people who lost Mm. their lives or family members on October 7th. That's righteous. That's, and that doesn't minimize calling for an end to genocide in Gaza. Actually, it makes calling for an end to genocide in Gaza a stronger statement when Mm -hmm. you are pursuing this, you know, healing justice. And so this idea that there's this false binary, or if I acknowledge, you know, um, a loss or a suffering or a pain or the humanity of, or the narrative of a Jewish Israeli that I somehow am doing like this false equivalency. I mean this, right. And and there is, there are many people who don't acknowledge power differentials and I, and we absolutely have to acknowledge power differentials, but acknowledging the humanity in the other is not, um, it is uh, is actually healing and necessary if we're going to pursue the type of justice that I think that these Gaza pilgrimages are all about. And if we're going That's to right. model a healing justice that Jesus is talking about. And so what's it mean to honor the humanity and narrative and suffering and acknowledge power differentials and injustice? Yep. Um, and, and I think that actually, I mean, I talk all the time with our team and in the work we're doing, like that's threading a needle. Like that's, that's not, sometimes that's hard <laughs> all the time. That's hard. Like that's not easy work to do. Um, and goodness gracious, like you will get criticized from the tips of your head to the tips of your toes mm-hmm. you know, when you do that work. Um, because, um, there's not a lot of space for it. And yet I think it's righteous work. And I think it's, uh, I think just what you articulated, 
um, Lisa, like that's the power of love that then brings healing. Um, um, So, yeah, I think that's one of the core values that we're pursuing. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thanks, May. Susan, I'm not sure if you wanted to highlight a particular one. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm uh, I'm going to um, uh, follow following on from what um, uh, May has uh, has said about you know um, uh, not negating the other person if you feel with that person. Um, uh, I don't know if you've you know you've uh, been listening to the news, especially in Australia. I don't know what it's like in the US, where the pain of the Israeli is. And, and and the loss of Israeli life or Jewish life is not equal to the loss of Palestinian uh, life. Uh, mm-hmm. So from our perspective as a Palestinian, we've been listening to, um, you know, the people that have died. Um, but and, and and you know, we're 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 being like the media and everybody's sympathetic with the death of Israelis. But they've seen th- nearly thirty thousand people die. In Gaza, yeah. and no one is, um, you know, no one is chucking a tantrum. They're just giving us the reporting of how many people died. So I feel that uh, whether it's the media or certain groups that have uh, tried to brainwash uh, the public everywhere, um, you know, I'm sure not in Australia, that the life of one group is more precious than the life of another group. And mm. that is why genocide happens in the That's first right. place, because That's you right. think your life is more important and much better than the other person. We need to go back to equality. If we're born in the all in the image of God, then the Israeli and the Palestinian, these are all brands, and there's a human being with a head, with a face, with eyes, with body, with a heart. We all <laughs> the same people, right? Yeah. And and then you go the color and all that kind of stuff. You know that is just it it, it it's not it's not real. We're making it up. We look at mm. people and we're making up that I'm better than you, and I mm. my children deserve better than you. And my children are more precious than you. We need to get to that everybody is equal and everybody is precious. Because you can't have peace when you're walking around thinking you're better than the other person. That is going to open to genocide. And what we are seeing right now is the path to genocide in Gaza. All these people that have died. And on top of that, more than 60,000 people are injured with Mm. Injuries right. that will last, you know, for lifetime. Mm-hmm. Who's going to look after these people? And on top of that, total destruction of Gaza. We got family mm-hmm. who lost everything coming to Australia with nothing but the clothes on their back. And who's supporting them? Nobody yeah. has supported us. Yeah. If we are equal, then the Palestinians coming from Gaza should be looked after in Australia much better than what they are now. They're just now... there's no support at all so we want equality whether in australia or whether in israel or palestine or whatever it is you want to call it in the holy land it is the holy land everybody should be equal because you can't have Mm. holy without equality come on that's so good susan yeah can i can i jump on that yeah as well i mean i want to go to the the third point which is the neutrality is not what we're looking for. Um, That we are about nonviolent solidarity, not neutrality. And I, and we have Jared to think for, think for that, um, that point. Um, That was really um, moving to me because I think that what we have fallen into too often, I think in the U S is, you know, this both sides ism. Oh yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, trying not to, Try not to piss anybody off, basically. Sorry for my mm. language, but there you go. I mean, um, I think that what I love about this is that recognizing the asymmetrical yes. nature of the conflict, the yes. reality that one side actually has a military, the other side really doesn't have an actual military. They don't have tanks. They don't have ships. They don't have 
bunkers. They don't, I mean, you know, they don't really have a military. Um, one side um, is, uh, is, is an in- entire actual government with budgets and all those kinds of things. The other side is an occupied people um, that almost was the 80% of, of all of what they get is all donated by other countries. Um, so it's not symmetrical. Plus mm. the majority, the vast majority of people who have died in this, in this conflict have been civilians, not, not military targets, um, military um, actors. So when we look at that and we ask the question of solidarity, I'm actually moved um, by Paul's words in in 1 Corinthians, just before his passage on love, when he talks about mm-hmm. the eye and the ear and the mouth and the mm-hmm. and he's and he talks about the reality that we need to. There is there is a time, and Jesus actually also does this with the bleeding woman. There is an appropriate time to push to the center the ones who have been bleeding out, mm-hmm. like the ones who are literally like bleeding for 12 years right the bleeding woman mm-hmm. um yep. for for paul he says the the lesser purse the lesser one and this is of course right. in terms of power um should get the greater honor That's i mean yeah. there's there's a time to focus the honor on the lesser one and so in that way right now our gaza pilgrimage is focused on the people of gaza because in this moment they are the bleeding women Yes, indeed. That's right. And the children who have lost their lives as well. The children. So, Drew, maybe to just summarize the the points that we haven't touched on, just being aware of time. Um, As you've heard from May earlier, uh, we have sought to um, uh, centralize and prioritize Palestinian Christian leadership. Um, uh, Susan is a a part of um, that group. Uh, but to have, have actual advisors um, and to um, part of the strategy of us walking is connecting in each city with Palestinian Christians, making them visible, listening to their stories. You, you, we could hear from Susan the need for assistance. Um, and if, if one part of the body is suffering, we all suffer um, and we need to respond to that suffering. So that's point four. Uh, point five is acknowledging the settler colonial histories and apologies if that sounds too academic for some. It's a shorthand for the horror of um, most of the locations that many of us English speaking people are coming from um, have histories of what has happened in the Holy Land first happening here and part of the blindness in the places we are to the suffering of Palestinian people is because we have first not removed the log from our own eye in terms of how we've related to First Nations people here. And so um, the fifth point is that we're committed to doing that work. We're seeking the blessing of Indigenous elders everywhere where we're walking. Um, and uh, so that's not separate from, but part of this, this work. And the sixth point is about hospitality, that our our Muslim, Jewish um, people, friends of other faith or no faith are welcome. Uh, We just ask that um, uh, you don't mind us being our daggy Christian selves, as we'd say in Australia, like um, we're going to carry crosses or um, say prayers or have icons or sing hymns or sing spirituals, and we're going to be ourselves. And if you don't mind being associated with that, you're more than welcome. Like th- th- this is a party that everybody can join. Um, we just ask that there is no dehumanizing, there's no scapegoating, uh, there's no demonizing of any side because we want to have the kind of discipline of, and precision of not merely venting, but naming who is responsible so we can actually see change happen. And seven and eighth, seven is simple. It's like, um, uh, to paraphrase it, Discipleship is evangelism. There's going to be no bait and switch. As we follow Jesus, as we love our neighbour, the stranger, our enemies, and God, uh, love ourselves as um, God has um, loved us uh, and as we love our neighbour, a rose does not need to advertise itself. It's simply its beauty and its smell that people are attracted to. So we make sure that there's a commitment to no bait and switch, no handing out tracts, no secretly trying to make people say the sinner's prayer because um, Christianity must have its own integrity of discipleship, of looking like Jesus, so that people want to um, ask 
um, and will be ready to give an answer when they do ask. But if they're not asking, maybe it's because there's nothing that's actually attracting them to something that looks like Jesus. Mm. And finally, we engage um, in the Gaza ceasefire pilgrimage movement as an act of repentance on behalf of um, our, ourselves, our churches, our nations, sins of omission in not standing with Palestinian people and the sins of commission where there's been active support, be it um, through arms or our politicians or our, um, uh, our churches actually blessing the horror that is anti the kingdom of God, that is anti the reign of God, that is anti the everything that has arrived in our Lord Jesus. So that kind of gives us the the, the eight core principles, um, core convictions of what the Gaza ceasefire pilgrimage is. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, y'all. That, I mean, it's really helpful. And I think what hopefully everyone is hearing is um, the ways in which, and I love, especially with that last, you know, conviction, I mean, that really just ties into laments, right? But then That's here right. we have a practice of lament that is not just intellectual, it's not doctrines, it's not um, just in our heads, um, but you all are organizing folks to actually embody their discipleship and allow um, these spiritual practices literally to be their activism in the world, right? That's and to right. bear witness, not, as you talk, not just witnessing, right, to folks, but to bear witness um, mm -hmm. through their lives and through embodied solidarity. And so I think that's really powerful. And I think um, these should be hopefully you know, if we are committed to being followers of Jesus, these are things that we should be wanting to get a, be a part of. And I think that's a good tie for us to kind of come back to the initial passage that we began with. Um, so Jared kind of quoted 1 John 2, 6 um, in this uh, reminder of what it means to abide and to remain right in God um, and that those that do walk as Jesus walked. Um, as we wrap up, um, can y'all just share a little bit of what that means to you as we think about, you know, literally that language is quite beautiful, especially in light of uh, um, this pilgrimage. And so um, what does that uh, verse mean to you? And what's the invitation, you know, for those that are listening and those that are considering whether they might be a part of this pilgrimage as well? I think for me, um, the call to walk where Jesus walks, do as Jesus does, is really a call to actual faith. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not enough for us to say I'm a Christian. It's really not enough right now. <laughs> um, really not enough. Um, the world literally needs evidence of the presence of God in the world. Mm. The world yeah. needs evidence and what it means to be a witness is to become evidence that's right of the presence of the of the reign of god in the world and where does the reign of god live where where can you find it where is it it is wherever those are who are following the way of god yeah that's great and jesus was the embodiment of the way of God. Jesus mm -hmm. was, I mean, it literally the 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 way, the truth, and the life, the way. That's right. Mm -hmm. So um when we ask ourselves, we literally ask, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right now, I'll tell you what Jesus would not be doing. Jesus would not be mm -hmm. sitting on his butt, you know, mm -hmm. watching another show and and kind of, you know, eating popcorn. Um trying to anesthetize himself, you know, so that he just doesn't have to see any of it. That's not what Jesus would be doing. Yeah. That's not what the savior of the world would be doing. Mm -hmm. um, that's not what God would be doing. Mm -hmm. And I, what I, what I imagine Jesus doing is literally what he did. Mm -hmm. When he faced down empire, he turned his face toward Jerusalem and walked toward the cross, walked toward resurrection, and along the way met all of the people that he met and encountered and did the kingdom, the kingdom mm -hmm. of God, right. even as he was walking toward um, that moment 
where time shifted because of his act. And so when we say that we are Christian or in this moment, what would Jesus do? I think that it would, it would be embodied. It would yeah. be, it would involve his feet. It would, it would call us, whatever it was, to a deeper and more authentic, more tangible, actual faith. Mm. And so that's why I really love this, this action because it calls us, it calls me. I don't want to walk 25 miles. <laughs> Let's just be real here. I don't want to walk 25 miles. Nobody, well, I mean, some people do want to do that, but I'm not doing, I'm not a marathoner, but I'm willing to do that because this is my opportunity to be evidence of the presence of the of God in the world. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, Susan. That mute button can be tricky. Sorry, can there you hear me now? Yeah, oh, we can okay. now. Thank you. <laughs> um, it, you know, when you walk, you um, you start thinking about things. Things get clearer because you're um, you're with mm. nature. You're with your body. You're getting your um, your mind and your body and your spirit to connect. And part of walking is actually getting present to the beauty of the world, to our breath, and our breath connects us to who we are. And who we are is people who really deep down who are can get to that moment of peace. And when we get to that moment of peace, then we feel like we can give that peace to somebody else. And I think that's what Jesus did. He walked a lot in the Holy Land, you know, went from Nazareth to Jerusalem. He went everywhere, right? And just imagine just keep walking, meeting people, uh, seeing them as equals, uh, and I think that's what is missing in the world. You know, we sit down on, on the TV and somebody on TV is telling us that this person is not equal to you, that there's something wrong with them. And that's why we need to send bombs to kill them because they're evil. Um, and, and we're getting separated from each other because we're just, you know, couch surfing, you know, sitting uh, you know, um, t on the TV, just, you know, going from one one TV channel to the other and disconnected from connecting from people. The walk is going to connect us with other people, with ourselves, with nature and make us more humane. And when we're yeah. more humane, then we go, we want the same for everybody else. You know, oh, people yeah. don't need to kill each other. And so, yeah, it's going to be beautiful. And so yeah. many people are just going to join us. Uh, it's it's going to go to, you know, um, another hundred cities by the time we start. Uh, and um, everybody's going to join us, even the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Jews mm. and the Muslims. Everybody's yeah. going to be with us, yeah? Uh, yeah? And it is all, we are going to come in all for one purpose, ceasefire, Let's get this, the people, the food that they need, support them. Uh, there's two million people displaced. They're sitting in mud right now in, in makeshift tents. We need to talk about those people who are voiceless, who are uh, powerless. We need to be speaking uh, in a loud voice. We need to save them. Otherwise, these people are going to die. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. May, I don't know if you wanted to add anything on the passage. Um, well, I heard uh, Lisa say, you know, in part, this will remind us who we are or who we want to be as the people uh -huh. of God. And I heard Susan say, this will remind us who, you know, how we see our neighbor and how we see other people. And I think for me, um, I want to be reminded of who I believe God to be. I think about the no. verse in scripture. And this is what I think of in terms of the verse that we started with, the remain in me, right? The, the mm -hmm. being close to who God is. There's a verse in Numbers that said, God, God is not a man that he should lie, nor mm -hmm. the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak mm -hmm. and then not act? Does he promise mm -hmm. and not fulfill? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I believe that God is a God of peace and not a God of war. 
And so um, I walk to be reminded of who I know God to be, right? And I believe God is a God of life and not a God of death. And so mm-hmm. for every one of those 27,000, you know, and it's now more than 27,000 Palestinians who've been killed. And for all of the 11,000 Palestinian children in Gaza, and for the 11,000 who were killed on October 7th, you know, for every one yeah. of those deaths to be reminded that God is a God of life mm-hmm. and that God is a God of light and not darkness. And so we believe that the kingdom of God will prevail. And so I think those truths of being reminded of the goodness of God in the midst of a broken world is a part of what this journey is about. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what that makes me think of. It's mm-hmm. me. Drew, as we kind of land, uh, I think f- for me, and I'll, I'll try and keep it short, um, sometimes uh, if if we haven't been spending much time with Jesus and and, and his sweetness, if, if it isn't feeling like close to us, we can maybe hear this passage as if you don't, if you claim, but don't walk like Jesus, it's like a, like a, as if it was a judgment, as if it was a, um, uh, if not this, then rather than a simple diagnosis, um, I'd like to connect it to John's gospel. Um, this is the judgment or this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but we love darkness. Um, what it is to abide in Christ is to walk like Jesus. Um, if our spiritual walks are feeling dry, go join Jesus in what he's doing. Um, go find yourself amongst those who are hurting. Um, uh, love someone, listen to someone, serve someone, um, uh, come alongside, um, pay attention to our own needs. A- as it reads in our um, toolkit, um, we will um, transfigure our trauma, be it direct or vicarious, um, and metabolise its truth and alchemize its power to welcome God's healing. And I hope that by um, walking or rolling for those of us um, in in wheelchairs or on bikes or whatever, or in a pram, um, that as we put our bodies in motion on behalf of those who are suffering, we will find the God we're looking for who has been calling us to that very place. We know where Jesus found. Muntha Isaac reminds us yet again at Christmas and we'll do again at Easter. If we are looking and wondering where God is in this moment, he is under the rubble. Jesus is found with those who are hurting and it's time for the church to be found there as well. Amen. Amen. I'm reminded uh, May kind of referenced really briefly earlier in our conversation, um, uh, Luke 19 Jesus mm. mourning over Jerusalem. So, I mean, Luke, mm-hmm. he's moving and he's on the way and it kind of sets the scene for a kind of a, a spirituality of Lent, certainly. Uh, and he gets over and he looks over and he weeps. If only they had known the things that make for peace. If only they had known the, the things that make for shalom, right? The kind of thriving and flourishing and presence of justice and all the things that God desires for for all of creation and I think that um, uh, what you all are inviting us into is that embodied practice to seek and participate in that in our own lives um, as we cry out and join in solidarity with our siblings all across the globe um, and speak in one voice uh, in a way that participates in what God is doing and makes visible in the public square what God is doing. So I'm really grateful and thankful for uh, your witness Uh, each and every one of you, um, and for the collective witness um, of all those that are joining in to participate in this. I'm excited to see um, not just what Jesus did, but what Jesus is going to be doing, right, in our midst um, at work um, as we walk and join him um, in the world. Um, I believe we're going to have some church. Jerry, mm. can you close us out with a little church? Uh, what might Drew, you if, if you get on the organ, invite? Um, I could get that Hammond organ out if you want. <laughs> um, but but can you uh, maybe offer a call? Yeah, yeah, folks? friends. Th- this is a little old school, and I, I do so tongue in cheek, but I also do so with full sincerity. Um, uh, for some of us, 
uh, there is a tradition of altar calls, which has become something that, in all honesty, is sometimes coercive, um, if not downright abusive, emotional manipulation that is often scaring people into something. But the, the origins of the altar call are actually found in the abolitionist movement. And Charles Finney invented this technology of the altar call to call baptised Christians, not to replace baptism, but to call baptised Christians to actually re enter into living from their baptism, to use the language of this particular verse, that those of us who claim to abide in Christ, we're to walk as Jesus walks. Friends, um, I would like to offer an altar call, um, a, a come to Jesus moment. I mean that metaphorically and quite literally. Um, I, I'd like to offer us a little bit of silence just now in terms of this moment and our lives. And what is it with if I can use the language, with every head bowed and every eye closed. What is it for us to be attentive in the silence and listen to the still small voice, a voice that is free from judgment and condemnation, a voice that in the face of Jesus we know to reveal the mystery of God to be love? What is it to listen to that voice in this moment and hear an invitation to follow Jesus. Friends, th this is an invitation to respond and find ourselves alongside, in solidarity with those that are suffering everywhere, but in Gaza in particular in this moment. I'd like to invite you now, in this time of silence, to do what you need to do not from a place of judgment, or I should, or I ought, or I would, but instead hear that with those strands of loving kindness, you're being drawn into your true self to live out of your God-created compassionate self and find yourself denying those false selves which seek to dehumanise you and say that you're something less than child of God and instead to take up your cross. Did Jesus bear the cross alone that all the world go free? No, friends. There is a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. There's a cross for you. And it's the cross of solidarity with those who are suffering. Let us spend just a moment in the silence to hear that still small voice call us to the compassion that we're made in the image of. Holy Spirit, do your will. Do your will, Holy Spirit. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in me, in us, as it is in your very presence. Lord, if it's simply clicking on Gaza ceasefire pilgrimage.com or if it's reaching out to friends to walk with us, may we take those steps now. And those of us who claim to abide in you, Please, Lord, by your grace, in the power of your spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, may we walk as Jesus walked. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.